Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wildstorm Addiction Podcast. This is episode 17. We're going to be covering the weeks of October the 6th and the 13th. I'm Joe David Solis. And I'm Ben Murphy. And I just want to remind y'all that uh, we do have spoiler alerts during the podcast. We will be discussing spoilers, but the reviews on the site are spoiler-free unless otherwise noted. And before I get started on the little bit of news we have, in case you're wondering why I sound the way I do, I'm coming off my birthday weekend, so... Yay! Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, needless to say, I, I lost my voice there for a while during the party, so it's just barely coming back. I just hope you all bear with me and hope that I will be able to hit the mute button in time if I go into a coughing fit. You'll make it. Otherwise, I'll be giving Ben extra stuff to edit. I'm sure I give him plenty to edit as it is, so... Anyway, well, you know, on the on the tail of the closure of the Wallstorm imprint news, you know, there's been a few other little things here and there, but one of the major ones that kind of hits home for Wallstorm is Hank Canals, the former vice president and general manager of Wallstorm Productions, was promoted to senior vice president of the digital of DC Comics. Basically, he's going to head up anything that they do digitally, so... That was pretty cool. We're really happy for Hank because, you know, I got to meet him out at San Diego and he was really friendly and, and really open to talk. And so it, it would be cool to just to talk to him whenever he gets this off the ground. I know on Twitter he made a comment that he was thanking everybody for the all the well wishes and he said that there was more news to come soon. So uh, I hope it's I hope it's lots and lots of good news. And I think at some point in the news that I was reading uh, from uh, New York Comic Con, which Ben is going to report on hearing a little bit for us, that uh, Dan DiDio did say that uh, the Wallstorm universe will return in digital form, whatever that means, you know. We've seen stuff posted at Comixology that's existing, but from the way he made it sound is that from now on you'll only be able to get it in digital form, so not sure how I feel about that. I guess it's okay. You know, I, I guess I can see that Wallstorm's always been an innovator in different parts of the industry, and I guess they want to be the first full universe only online. So, anyway, there goes my voice, Ben. So, why don't you tell us about New York Comic Con? <laughs> All right. I will indeed. I do have some audio clips for you guys if you guys were paying attention to the Twitter feed. I kind of let you know what panels I was sitting in on as I was there. I was able to capture some audio. It's probably not as well produced as DC's audio would be because they were probably tapped into the mics. Um, However, I had a little iPod Nano that I stole off my wife and it was pink and it was beautiful, but it did the job. So basically (laughs) the three uh, panels that I made it to were Jeff John's panel and that was on Friday and he was basically talking about all things DC So I had to basically ask my question in a room full of about 800 DC junkie fanboys. And when I asked my Wildstorm question, all I heard was crickets. So that was good news. That was fun. (laughs) Well, at least they didn't just glare at you. No, they glared at me too. Yeah, there was was some (laughs) scathing looks. Um, And the second panel I went to was on Saturday afternoon, and that was... The original Wildstorm panel, as you know, they proposed it months ago, but turned into the Red Movie panel. And even in the uh, printed material for the scheduling of NYCC, it still said Wildstorm Red and Other Amazing Tales. So I thought that was fun because as you hear the audio, um, there wasn't any other Amazing Tales. It was just Red. And I'll, I'll go through that briefly <laughs> after the, the audio. That was going to be my question. I wanted to know what the other amazing Yeah, I, I, I certainly did. Nobody else seemed to. <laughs> the uh, third panel I went to was later that afternoon on Saturday, and that was the Jim Lee Spotlight panel. And that was for that was the Icons book that he's putting out that is uh, DC and Wildstorm art. So, and I, and I read online earlier this week that that's probably the last Wildstorm printed book that you'll see from Jim Lee, I guess. At least that's how they put it online. So he was pimping his book at NYCC there for uh, $100. So that was good news. Oh. Yeah, I, I guess it was an exclusive cover version of it because it is a hard hardbound book. But you can find it on Barnes & Noble and Amazon for pre-order because it comes out on the 26th 
of this month for 26 and change, which I think I may pick it up because it's a cover price of $40. So 26 ain't too bad for a 96-page hardbound book. But yeah. there was no way I was paying $100 for it there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I guess, you know, it'll be one of the last technical Wallstorm publications, you know. Yeah. Because yeah. we do have other stuff on the wiki that is not necessarily comic books, but kind of collections like that. So I'm going to play those three panels, basically the question that I asked in those three panels for you guys, and I'm going to play them back to back to back, and then Joe and I will discuss them for you, and you'll get to understand how I really felt about the con. So again, just to recap right before I play these, the first question is for Jeff Johns. The second question is at the red panel, red and other amazing tales, and the third is for Jim Lee at Jim Lee's icons panel. So without further ado, here is the audio that I captured. Sorry about the uh, background noise, everybody. Hey, uh, we were really sad to hear about the demise of the Wildstorm universe, but hopeful to hear that you may have some involvement with it. I was just wondering if we'd have a timeline when we'd see those characters back. Um, something Jim and I talked a lot about, um, but I can't really give you any sorry, specifics. But they are important characters. I mean, I... I, uh, I grew up on a lot of those characters. I mean, I seven, cats and everything. But, but um, I know Jim has a passion for those characters, and, and the point of the point is not to lose those characters or those types of stories, but to keep them going. So. Thanks, man. All right, we're gonna play the trailer one more time while he blows it up. One last question. I was just wondering if you guys were gonna elaborate on the Wildstorm news at all. Uh, it's Thank you for asking. <laughs> Jim, my, my comics life started out with Wildcats and Wildstorm Universe, and I thank you for creating it each and every day. And I was hoping that you could possibly give us a realistic timeline on when we'll see those characters again. I know it's been very vague, and I know that they need time to regroup, but, you know... The Wildstorm characters? Yeah, us diehard fans, you know, we, sure. we love them to death. I would say hang in there, first of all. <laughs> yeah, so I would say hang in there. <laughs> yeah, anyway, so the Wildstorm characters. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, I, look, I, I, I love those characters. Co-created most of those characters. Um, but... You know, honestly, the sales were not where they really should be. Uh, you know, there's a great legacy. You know, it's interesting. Once they announced that Wildstorm was ending, a lot of uh, very kind creators um, kind of posted up their memories of working at Wildstorm and the characters they created. And uh, you really start you, looking back over the 18 years, you really see how many sort of impactful series and creations there were. And not just the stuff I worked on, but uh, the, the ones that I brought into the, the universe of creators I hired to, to do books and the impact they had on the rest of the industry. So I, I, I know that there's this wave of, of, I know that there's this love for the characters and I also know that if I wait a certain amount of time uh, that nostalgia will, will just peak just, just right and uh, um, I think that'll be the time to sort of come back with, with, with those characters. It's interesting that when Image started back in the uh, 90s, right? The 90s? Yes, early, yeah. early 90s. Early 90s, that's right. Um, you know, it was not as, it was pretty universally hated, honestly. You know, um, you know people really collected Marvel DC, and um, we got a lot of new fans. And um, But these weren't the fans you, you met at comic book conventions, um, because they were too young to, to spend, spend the money to come to San Diego or whatever. Um, but I, I always knew that somewhere down the line, some kid would come up to me and say, hey, Wildcats number one was the first comic book I ever bought, and that's what got me into comics. Exactly, right? So here you are. And uh, and sure enough, I'd say about eight to ten years after it was started, there was this huge kind of swelling of... Because before that, it was always like some X-Men book or whatever I did. And and so I know that there's a lot of Wildstorm fans that picked up the Authority, you know, that picked up Planetary, that picked up Wildcats Gen 13 um, for the first time, became comic book fans. And um, when they get to a certain age, they will come back, and, and we will we will uh, reconvene the, the Wildstorm universe. And I, I, I think um, when we do that, we, we, we have to do it with something that's slightly reimagined, something, something that's uh, more 
invigorated, reinvigorated creatively than what existed before, but we will do it. So thank you, sir. Just wait a little bit. Thank you. So that was basically the three questions that I asked in each one of the panels. And yeah, that was the consensus. Nobody, other than Jim, everybody else kind of, you know, put it to the side. Nobody really, really wanted to hear my question. But um, yeah, so, I mean, Jeff Johns obviously wasn't going to say much about it. You know, he wasn't going to give a timeline. Uh, I mean, he said that he's going to have involvement in the reimagining, but who knows if that's (laughs) really true. I mean... I have a feeling these characters are going to be on the sidelines for a long, long time after going to the con. I just, I I had a very odd vibe about it. The red panel, let me discuss that one in particular, because it was originally slated as a Wildstorm panel, and it turned into only about the red movie. And I I wrote a little breakdown while I was sitting in that panel, because I was so... I was sitting there fuming, basically. I was in the front row, and Ben Abernathy was up there, Cully Hamner was up there, and Hank Canals was up there, and and he was kind of emceeing it. He was running the panel. So that panel was supposed to run from 1.15 to 2.15, and it basically started, and I wrote down, I know you guys may not want to hear this, but it it just made me so sad. So it was 1.17-ish. They started, kicked off the panel with the red trailer, um, that's been out for quite some time. And then Cully and Ben Abernathy talked quite a bit about Red. And Cully kind of gave some insight into, you know, when he was creating it with Warren Ellis in 2003 and how it was basically his last project that he worked on that was hand-lettered. So I thought that was interesting back in 2003. That was the last hand-lettered piece that Cully had worked on. And then at 1.30, so just 15 minutes later... You know, they started talking about the red primers that they put out, which were the other characters that they were introducing in the movie that they all did specials of. Because basically those were all new characters that were introduced in the movie that were not in their original series. And then a short four minutes later, they opened it up to Q&A because they didn't really have anything else to talk about. So it was basically a 20-minute panel, and then they were like, all right, Q&A. There were a few questions. They were all red-related, and they were all pretty benign. Um, I have a feeling that most of them were just, you know, industry people, like uh, comic book resources I know sat in on the panel and a few other media outlets, such as that for comics. And, you know, you heard my question really quick there, and that was because... They said last question, and I was like, crap, I better ask a question or else I'm not going to get to. And that was at 1.47, so basically that Q&A lasted about 12 minutes, and they were pushing to get people to say to ask questions. Basically, there wasn't really much going on. And you heard how brief my question and answer was, and right after that, 1.48, they played the red trailer again that we had just seen, and that closed out the panel, and it lasted a half an hour to the minute and it was really frustrating and and they could tell my frustration and you know as soon as they ended that trailer you know hank and ben came up to me and they were like hey man you know we could talk outside if you really want to talk and and you know they did wait for me outside the panel and i they could tell that i was frustrated and hank canales was right there ben abernathy was right there cully hamner was right there too and you know i had never met these guys before i never got the rapport that you know, Joe probably did at San Diego, and I was just, you know, I was frustrated. I was there by myself. I didn't have anybody there that I knew from Wildstorm. And I, I told them straight up, you know, guys, I'm just frustrated. Like, nobody will give me an answer. Like, the press releases were very vague, and, you know, I just, you know, they keep saying that, you know, Jeff Johns had said that, you know, Jim Lee is really, you know, passionate about those characters, and I just don't see it. And, you know, this might be rude of me to call Jim Lee out for not being passionate about the universe that he created. But in all honesty, that's how I felt at the time. Like, you know, if he was really passionate about the universe, he wouldn't have ignored it for the 10 years that, you know, right after he sold it to DC. 10 years. It died within 10 years. You know, if he really did have a passion for it, he would have spent more time with it. Like, he drew a cover every now and again, but... And maybe, you know, I'm looking at it all wrong. Obviously, I don't know the insider information, but, 
there were creators that really poured their heart into Wildstorm, and, and thank goodness because they kept it afloat. But what part of Jim Lee did, and, and Cully kind of defended Jim for good reasons, probably. But you know, I was really asking the question out of frustration, and it it was just a, a small, quick, you know, powwow between the four of us, and you know, and and I just left really quick because Ben wasn't. And after Anathia wasn't going to answer my question, and, and Hank obviously didn't want to talk about it either. And, you know, Cully just, you know, tried to defend Jim's honor, I guess. <laughs> and, and that's how it went, and it was frustrating. And then, you know, in the Jim Lee panel, he obviously spent more time to answer my question, which was great. But, you know, even CBR made, made a note of, you know, when the nostalgia comes back and you see on the Wildstorm message boards, like, People don't understand what that means. Well, there's the audio. Try to figure out what he means by that because the people that grew up with Wildstorm were 12 or 13 or 14 when they first started buying. Like when he said, you know, people come up to me and their first comic was Wildcats, I was pointing at myself. And that's why he said, you know, yeah, exactly like you. Because that that was me. I bought my first comic book. It was Wildcats number one. I was 12. Like, the nostalgia is there. I'm 30 years old now. Like, when is that right point? And, and that's what I meant by, you know, like, just being frustrated and calling Jim out on just, does he really care that much? Because... It's tough from our point of view to see it, but I mean, it's it's not our universe; it's his, so he can do with it what he wants. But you know, as longtime fans, it, it's frustrating. I, you know, I was very it was the the whole Comic Con was kind of somber for me. Like I tried to enjoy it as much as I could, but that was it. So, what do you think about those three little snippets, Joe? Well, I mean, I I completely understand where you're coming from, and I'm you know sorry that 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 you know it was frustrating meeting those guys because obviously i met them under better circumstances yep you know i guess they you know i would think you know for guys like ben abernathy and hank canals who have been there the you know as long as they did you know you talk about the people who kept wallstorm afloat those are a couple of the guys right there who who kept wallstorm afloat you know and it would be interesting to hear if they had any frustrations about this too you know because it's like well, we've been watching the store for you, and now you're telling us to close it, you know, <laughs> type of deal. But I don't know. I mean, obviously, you know, from Hank's comment, like I said about, uh, you know, more news to come, I would think, you know, that he's going to try his best to use his new position to, you know, just make it successful, just like I'm sure he did while he was VP. You know, and I, I'm sure one of the things that I kind of learned from talking with him is that, you know, there's just a certain... I don't know, I can't think of the word right now, but obviously there's a certain business aspect here that has to be respected. And that was one thing like when Hank couldn't or wouldn't answer my question about are we going to be excited about the Wallstorm news in NYCC, you know, I had to respect that because I knew that it's his job, you know, and he's an important, you know, person for that company. And just to be able to talk to him, just being a regular fan, you know, was cool in itself. But I had to remove myself, you know, from that and, and understand this is a business, you know. In that respect, it made it easier to kind of get the, the, the no answers, I guess. Because I will tell you this, you know, yeah, Jeff Johns, yeah, I, I'm sure, yeah, I hope that he has some involvement in whenever they bring him back. Because one thing he's good at is bringing back, you know, characters that people don't seem to care about anymore and make people care about them like he did with Green Lantern and The Flash. Uh, you know the JSA and all that so I hope that he's part of whatever they plan to do because with that you know he's he's that's his strength and yeah I, that didn't surprise me about the the Wallstorm panel I mean there's nothing else to say I guess other than the official release or nothing else that they can say but Jim Lee's answer to you that's probably the first time that I've heard him really talk about Wallstorm you know obviously it's in the midst of it closing so it's kind of like okay did I have to take this to finally get him to talk about it the way he did you know obviously the bottom line it sounds like they they just want to they want to do world storm properly is what it sounds like to me because the way he talked about you know kind of building the nostalgia because that's kind of what they did there right before world storm you know that's what they tried to do yeah the the wild storm titles were scarce 
before that. I remember collecting at that time and thinking, God, there's no Gen 13 right now. There's no, you know, there's no, a, a, well, I think Authority Revolution was going on, but I wasn't following them. You know, Wallcats 3.0 had ended. So it's like there was really no Wallstorm universe right before Wallstorm. Not, not, a, not a very big one anyway. So that's what it seems like to me that, that they're just going to do that, but hopefully do it right this time. Yeah, the whole nostalgia thing, yeah, I get what you're saying. It's like, yeah, when is it enough? And especially for characters, like he said it himself, you know, he said that the sales were no good, you know. So if the sales are no good, then wh- which, which fans are going to feel the nostalgia? The ones who have been there since the beginning, you know, because it's certainly not the ones who are there right now because there were so few, you know. He did mention that a lot of creators came out and talked about their fondness for Wildstorm. And I'm sure there's a lot of fans that are like, wow, I can't believe, you know, they're being closed. And there's a lot of posts about where they're going to go, where the character's going to go, blah, blah, blah. So there's a lot of discussion now that it's at the end, you know. And it's like, so there's people out there who are interested. There was people during World's End the whole time that were saying they they wanted to come back to the Wallstorm universe as, as soon as they finished this apocalypse story. You know, that's what a lot of posts were talking about. There's people out there that seem to be interested. We'll wait and see if this extreme move of just getting rid of the imprint and not the characters is what's going to be able to revive the character. Because now the characters exist, you know, they're going to exist in some form. Like Jim Lee mentioned the word reimagining, that's probably what it's going to end up being. It's just going to start again. You know, that's that's what I think. I'm just kind of, you know, going to enjoy what's left and then we'll see how long they're gone. I hope they're not gone for too long, you know, but I'm sure they have a a timeline in their mind already of how long they're going to keep them off the shelf. So Yeah, well, I have, I have a timeline, too, and it's long. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just got that feeling from everybody. I mean, I, I get the business aspect of it, obviously. Like, it makes perfect sense. It's doing poorly, so why continue dragging that dead horse? But I think there were a lot of bad business decisions that led up to it, and that's what I meant about him really paying attention to his universe over the last 10 years because you saw all the failed reboots and such throughout the time and you saw the sales decline every time they tried to do that so you know they talked about you know we'll probably see these characters next in digital form well that's great and all but how do i get a signature on the cover of that (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah and like i said you know they're probably just trying to make the Wallstorm universe, you know, be the first to do something like that, to be an all-digital universe, you know. So we'll see. But yeah, I, get, I know what you're saying. <laughs> It'd be nice to have printed copies. Anywho, we may as well move on because I can complain about this for quite some time. Oh, I do. There is there is one thing that I wanted to say about NYCC and I almost forgot. Um, I did get to meet Gail Simone. However, I didn't get to interview her because we were planning on doing that but i mean this was one convention center and they added another twenty thousand people this year probably uh i think last year they had eighty thousand some odd people and i think this year they definitely cracked the hundred thousand mark it was jam-packed in there and on saturday you know she didn't have a long line of people waiting to get signatures from her which was a shame because she is such a cool person but as I looped through her line twice because my sister couldn't get a good picture of us together, they kept being blurry, I got a good one the second time around. However, when I was leaving her line, and she signed all my number ones of Welcome to Tranquility from the first volume and the second volume, which was awesome of her, some random guy was like, hey man, I love your podcast, because I was wearing my Wildstorm podcast shirt, and I was kind of thrown off by it. It was an older gentleman. He had you know graying hair. And I was like, oh, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. And who are you? Because I really had no idea who this was. And he was like, oh, I'm her husband. So it was basically (laughs) Mr. Simone. And I was like, that's awesome. Thank you. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. And, And that, thank goodness that he did that. Because, I mean, I was kind of depressed the entire time and that made my con just a little bit of affirmation like hey man you're doing something cool people appreciate it i was like thanks dude i 
I really, yeah. really like that. And I didn't even buy anything at the con, and I was like, on my way walking out, because I had planned on not going on Sunday, which I didn't, I was like, you know what, I really just need to get something. So I walked over to one of the random, you know, long box vendors over there, and I found a, uh, a Gen 13 number one ash can, which is a, a purple little book, and it's, it's pretty rare. I don't know if you guys have ever seen them floating around out there. But the guy had it marked for 50 bucks, and I was like, there's no way I'm paying 50 bucks for this thing. And he had it marked 20, I think, 50% off or something like that. And I was like, hey, man, you take 20 bucks for this? He's like, I don't know, that's pretty rare. Yeah, sure. And so that, that was basically <laughs> the only thing I bought at the con, and I was like, oh, sweet. <laughs> and you did some good haggling for it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so those two things back-to-back, right, as I was wrapping up my experience, made it a little bit better, but... Yeah, that was that was New York Comic Con 2010, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So we'll see if we can get her on for an interview. I know she's up for it, so yeah, it'd be a lot of fun to interview her. It would be. She's a great person. Yeah, she seems like it. That's that's why I really want to try to get her on, because <laughs> I think we'd have a lot of fun with that interview. I mean, you can see how fun her writing is, so. Yeah, <laughs> which we're going to talk about later tonight. But before we do that, uh, let's go ahead and move on to our first review, which is The Authority Number 27, written by Tom Taylor, another person I, w- I would love to interview, art by Al Barionuevo, and covered by Dave Gibbons and Kevin Nolan of Watchmen fame. So, The Authority, when we last left them, the carrier had been skewered by this giant space station that apparently had summoned it you know, from deep space. All hell broke loose last issue because we see these aliens that uh, have captured other carriers and basically capture whatever alien life forms come with them, which in this case for us it would be the Wildstorm heroes and a lot of the refugees of the planet Earth came with the authorities carrier. So we learned that, that this race has been collecting like this for eons. And this issue... What's pretty cool is that we finally get the origin of the carrier, which is something that has been alluded to by different creators, but never fully explored. And honestly, I don't remember some of the other tidbits of of the origins that we've got in the past. I'm sure Chris Stryker could come on the boards and tell us, <laughs> but uh, let's call him up right now. No. <laughs> But um, we'll get to that in a second. But basically, yeah, we we have these uh, aliens who are rounding everybody up and killing them and using them for God knows what. I still haven't figured out everything that they have planned. But the one thing that that I will say that I liked about this issue was the way that it was laid out. Because we keep rotating between the heroes that are in custody by the aliens and the heroes that stayed behind on the carrier. And the heroes that stayed behind on the carrier discover an unconscious Swift, which, last issue, we saw that the only reason the aliens didn't take her was because apparently her body had, like, cloaked itself. The aliens didn't see her, so that's not something we've ever seen her do before, so that was definitely a mystery, and that's part of why the heroes are wondering why she's still even here. Uh, we go back and forth, like I said, between that and the other heroes fighting off the aliens. There's there's a great battle that I thought that was awesome between Flint and some of the aliens. There was some great scenes in here of her just punching through one of them and ripping out its guts. And I mean, it's just like awesome, awesome battle scenes that Alabadi Nova was drawing here. There was one one moment with uh, River, which I know was meant to be kind of funny because it's basically uh, "Are we there yet?" joke, but I just I don't know, I thought it was kind of corny. Kind of felt out of place, too, because he hadn't really been shown to be a goofy character, So and I seemed really goofy, but it's all right. It was just something I'm sure Tom threw in there for fun. But yeah, the heroes that are still on the carrier realize that, you know, that if they ever want to get out of here, first thing they need is a, another baby universe in order to power the carrier, because, you know, this carrier has not had one since the end of the Number of the Beast incident where Jenny Quantum took it and disappeared and still have not heard from her. So they find a room that has basically all the other baby universes that powered all the other carriers in it. And here's where we get to the origin of the carrier. And the origin is cool, but it's one of those where if you've seen a lot of sci-fi, you've kind of heard this origin before. It's basically there's a, a race called the Karibna that in their, I guess, pursuit to advance their own race 
they began, you know, doing all kinds of experiments and stuff, and then eventually they learned to lure other races to them, and they basically would invite them with open arms, even though, I tell you what, if I saw the way the Caribna look now, and they're telling me that they're peaceful, I would know that they were lying right away, because these things look wicked. <laughs> yeah, those don't look friendly at all. So basically, they would just continue to lure races, and would use their carriers kind of as, um, I guess you could say, like bait, I guess would be the best way to say it. Because they'd send them back out and see what the carriers would collect and then return them. And basically this was all done to sustain their race, to continue to advance them. That you know they are very, Their technology is very biological, so that's why they require living tissue to continue to advance. And another great sci-fi aspect in here is that the heart of all this, one of the surviving members of one of the peaceful races, is just a, is just a giant brain, which I thought was very... A very cool nod to just sci-fi in general. I don't know what's the, what's the thing about uh, just having a brain that can talk and communicate that apparently is advanced so much that it no longer requires a body. But basically it um, helps them escape because it doesn't want the Charybna to succeed anymore. And, you know, they release all the baby universes to go back to, or it seems like, like they're releasing them to go back to all the other carriers including one for their own and river as an act of mercy uh, mercy killing basically uh kills the the brain entity by basically stopping its feed of information which river is starting to show that his power to control information has a lot more aspects to it than than we realize then as we see that uh, around the alien ship all the different aliens that are serving their purposes their systems are shutting down so they can escape. River has opened up doors all around the the place so the other heroes who are engaged in combat can escape. And then we do end on a very interesting cliffhanger as we see one door open up where... I don't know, I was confused if this was the box where Hawksmoor's weapon was or if this is something else. I, I was confused as well because that's the first thing I thought it was. Yeah, I mean, if it is, then that would be very interesting because uh, it would very much like to know is the gun talking now you know because we <laughs> we did find out that it was the you know had the essence of that woman uh from gamora so technically it could be talking uh that we'll definitely find out next issue i hope yep. but this one i ended up just giving it a seven because i don't know i guess i guess lately if i see a well done story you know that's cool I'll i'll enjoy it but if it's got aspects in it that i've seen before i still enjoy it but it's just sometimes, I guess as a long-time reader of just sci-fi and comics and just, just all different kinds of genres, you know, because I love to study stories. When I come across something that I've seen before, I, I just would like something a little different. Just, just a little something, you know, just to kind of change it up a bit. The thing with the origin of the carrier, I just was like, well, that's cool, but I just kind of feel like I've seen that before. If anybody has ever watched the Halo animes that show the origin of that game, it's pretty much the same thing. Anyway, what did you think, Ben? I'll give you a little something. (laughs) No, I I agree with that point. The thing that's funny about that is thinking of what would they do that's different. They knew, even before they knew that, you know, Wildstorm was going to cease to exist, they knew that the carrier was coming back to the Earth by December. That was already pre-planned out. We already knew that on the message boards. So at some point, they knew that the carrier had to turn around and return to Earth. And I... You know, I'm kind of surprised as you are that we wouldn't get a different answer here as this is probably their last issue before the carrier starts going back, which would be in November and then December it would arrive on Earth. Despite that, um, you, you thought the river thing was corny, which I agree it was corny, but Tom Taylor is a funny guy. I mean, you did get to meet him in San Diego, right? Oh, yes. And I mean, that's why it's like as soon as I started reading, I'm like, I could so listen to Tom describing this to me, you know, and I did. I mean, it was it was funny, but it's just it's just one of those. It's like, it's the are we there yet joke? You know, I mean, Donkey did it in Shrek, you know, it's like (laughs) and this is this is why I actually enjoyed that. Tom, I really enjoyed his writing on the authority ever since he picked it up. And it's because of his poke into humor with a serious tone behind it. Like, these guys are screwed. They're going wherever they're going. They don't even know where they're going, and they're constantly life-or-death situation, and he brings humor to it. 
What I thought was funny about this issue is I think he said, okay, the person that's going to give all the humor in this issue is actually Deathblow, not River. So that little thing that River does, he's just antagonizing Deathblow. And you can see he's so ticked off about it and annoyed by it. And then in a few pages later, Deathblow gives the best line because Roxy says, where does a baby universe come from anyway? And Deathblow goes, well, when two universes love each other very much, <laughs> which was excellent. Yes. yes, no, I will admit that was pretty funny. Yeah, and then when the whatever weird brain thing uh, basically says, hey, I don't want to live anymore and do this and harm all these universes, he basically asks them to kill him, and Deathblow is like, Oh, yeah, I'll do that for you. No problem. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Of course he doesn't have a problem with it. So, you know, I enjoyed the issue because basically that little tone that he put in there with Deathblow throughout, I I really dug that. But, you know, like I said, maybe it is just the weight of the news for, you know, ever since we got it. You know, I probably would have gave this an 8, but I'm with you on this that it's a 7 just because I'm... I know there's only two left. I mean, ah, you know it's kind of coming. So a a lot of this storyline is just getting wrapped up really quick. Next up, we have Welcome to Tranquility, One Foot in the Grave, number four, written by Gail Simone, art by Horatio Dominguez, and a cover by Neil Gooch. And the cover is pretty awesome if you guys have picked this up. It's a coyote kid and his ghoul gang, I guess you would call them. (laughs) But basically, this this issue uh, opens up where we left off, which was Derek stabbing Venus in the neck with a fork. And Venus is standing there with blood all around her fork hanging out of her neck and a little tear coming out of her eye. Like It's kind of funny. It, it looks like she's swaying a little bit, too, which is weird. But Derek's kind of you know mocking the situation and Minerva's freaking out. And they're still in her kitchen. Venus starts pulling out the fork, and Derek's like, uh, I really wouldn't want to do that if you want to live a little bit longer. But she pulls it out anyway, and doesn't take long for her to collapse on the ground. And we flip over to Tranquility Hospital, where they're looking over um, Mayor Fury. Actually, Sheriff Lindo is actually lo- looking over him and questioning him, and he's he is really a wreck. I mean, he was a wreck in the last issue when she found him, and emotionally he's a wreck i should say Uh, i mean he's beat up but he heals quickly i think he'll get over the fact that his son beat the crap out of him but emotionally he's he's pretty scarred right now and you know thomasina basically says that she forgives you know mayor fury for all he's done and you know don't worry about it the point is is we need to take care of of what's going on and and she doesn't even know what's going on that's why she's questioning him and Basically, Mayor Fury drops the bomb on her and says that Derek's back. And she's like, that can't be. You're a liar. You're a liar. He's dead. He's dead. You know, that's that's basically the cover that he and Pink Bunny, you know, let everybody believe. Because they knew that Derek was messed up. And, uh, and we soon find out something's very, very odd about um, Sheriff Lindo and Derek. And then we go back to... Minerva's house and he's basically toying with her the old woman and says you know I'll give you a 30 second head start and so she takes off and you know she doesn't run she doesn't run she's trying to to be part of the solution I guess as they're being chased Venus tries to call call her sister and her cell phone is dying but uh, she's able to connect and she basically says to Sheriff Lindo, Tommy, please help. I think I'm dying. Sheriff Lindo's like, uh, Sarisa? So basically after that call, Sheriff Lindo's going to go and help her sister, obviously, because that's where Derek is. And uh, Mayor Fury is like, no, you can't go alone. I have to come with you. And she's like, no, that's an order. You are not leaving. You're staying here. She's running through, running out of the hospital. She's like... Who could possibly slow him down? There's, there's nobody in Tranquility that can handle Derek. And so the only person that she can think of that could possibly help would be Coyote Kid. 
because he's already dead. And he was basically the most dangerous person when he was alive, and now he's dead. So he's got to be even more dangerous, right? And he can't die again. So she shoots in the, into the air four times, and here Coyote Kid shows up. Yeah, he's here to help, and he's got his swagger, and he has some good one-liners, but basically he says to Sheriff Lindo, saddle up. <laughs> They're off to Minxie Millions Mansion. Yeah, he has his uh, his ghost with him. I, I don't know if they actually do anything, but they like to ride along with him. We cut back to Minxie Millions Mansion, and, and she's looking for a remote control, I guess, to one of her planes. That's basically all she finds. It looks like it's in a liquor cabinet, but she has other stuff in there, not liquor. You know, Derek finds her pretty easily and was like, wow, you didn't really go too far there. And and he says weird things to her, and he did it in the last issue, too, because she is a very old woman, and he talks to her very sexually. It's kind of creepy. But anyways, she turns on this jet, and uh, the hangar doors open, and... You know, she's not really putting up a fight, but she she talks hilarious. And she's like, you hurt Venus, you rotten crumb bum. <laughs> and I think that's hilarious. And Derek's like, you are starting to annoy me, you little granny. And, you know, he's like, you can put down your little remote. And she's like, it's not a remote. It's more like a dog whistle. And she jumps out the window into her pool down below. And, and Derek's like, wow, that's weird. And basically, the airplane hangar must have been above them. And they come crashing down onto Derek, and they blow up in that room while Minerva dives into her pool. And as that explosion happens, Sheriff Lindo and Coyote Kid show up, and and they're pretty shocked by what happened. And I'm sure Sheriff Lindo is concerned more about her sister hopefully not being in that explosion. Sheriff Lindo pulls her out of the pool and says, where's my sister? Where's Ceresa? And she's like, she's hurt bad. She's in the house. Um, and she says that, you know, she's in the kitchen. And, and Minxie says that she's dead. She's so sorry, which they kind of gloss over that. Like, she just expects her to be dead. But you'd think they'd at least try to save her. Anyways, uh, Derek jumps out of the fire and he looks like a wreck he's you know all burn up his shirts burn up and his hair's all half burn up he looks but his mask is fairly okay which is funny yeah he's nasty and he goes right up to sheriff linda and it looks like he breaks her hand pretty quickly he's like what a special homecoming gift and and throws her aside this is where uh coyote kid steps in and he uh, tries to take on Derek. and it's a showdown they have a pretty big fight here and and this is where the uh where uh Gail Simone shines, and she has her little comic flashback tie-in, and, and it's called When Monsters Clash, and we cut back to the hospital where Pink Bunny's out in the waiting room, and she's just worried about Mayor Fury, and she's sitting next to a little girl who has a comic book called Monsters, 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 and <laughs> the issue is called When Monsters Clash, and it's a fun little story, and I'm not going to go through it, but basically it dictates what's going to happen next, and and basically the moral of the story is did, did the monster, did he die a, a monster or did he die a hero? So that's a little foreshadowing there, and uh, basically uh, Derek kicked the crap out of a coyote kid, and I guess killed him again, even though he was already dead. I kind of glossed over uh, why Lindo was so scared of Derek, but basically there was um, a time when they were together that Derek raped her, so that's why she was so concerned about him being back. And Well, that was one of the reasons in the fact that his strength is unknown. Yeah, so I went over that quickly. So do you have anything to add to that, uh, Joe? Oh, what did you rate it? Um, I gave this one another 8. I mean, it, she's... This is a solid read each and every month, and I look forward to it more and more. And, you know, I kind of, we've talked about it before, you know, you have to kind of hold back your rating, which is an odd thing to say, but, like, you know there's so much more coming in the last issues, and you just want to give them all nines and tens. But this shorter series is just so much more dark than the first 12 issues ever were in the first volume and you're really seeing this town of tranquility how dark and seedy its underbelly ever was even even more so than we found out in the first 12 issue series it just keeps getting darker and darker which is an interesting thing because you know it has a glossy shiny front to it to everybody else no i i also i i stuck with my eight rating too just because same reasons like what you said you know, we've reviewed several miniseries, you know, since we've been doing the podcast. And one of the things we've talked about is that, you know, when you know you only have six issues to work with, 
you've got to space them out and certain issues you probably want to hit certain key points when you get there and this being issue four you know of the six issue miniseries to me this is the perfect example of what an issue this late in the series should be like we took three issues and we had a lot of good a lot of good story a lot of good action a good mixture of it but this one i mean it just got really epic in this one you know you learn the origin you know or more you learn more about Derek's origin i guess you could say is that you know you know he did apparently rape you know sheriff lindo and and yeah he keeps making those inappropriate comments to minxie and so you see that even with the conversation the last issue that him and his dad had when he was a kid it's like he's got this thing with females you know he thinks he can just have them so that was like the beginnings of that so he is definitely a very turning out to be a very dark villain but he's turning out to be a great villain because of that i mean he is just he is showing how much of a threat he really is and like you were saying where the sheriff was trying to think who you know if mayor fury got his you know butt handed to him by his son you know, who else could I call? You know, of course, one of the other ones that comes to mind is Maximan. But, of course, Maximan can be killed. So, I guess that's why she chose to go with the Coyote Kid, since, like you said, he's already dead. And uh seemed like a good plan at the time. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I don't remember the full role of the other four spirits. I mean, I know Coyote Kid is basically one of these spirits as well. So, I don't know if he if he has different powers or privileges you know being the spirit or, or what but yeah they don't this other four spirits don't seem to help much in the battle against uh derek that's my fault for not you know reviewing that but his story wrapped up late in the uh first volume his storyline yeah and that's part of what you know like so far i, I think you could have read this miniseries and been okay but here you'd get his role you'd get that he's a pretty powerful character you you might not appreciate it as much if you hadn't read how he became this way yeah at the end of the first tranquility miniseries so you know in, in essence this miniseries is it's a true sequel you know it's best when read in order you know the first two uh um yeah it's got two trades, so you'd read the two trades first and then this one. So, Speaking of red... <laughs> what about it? <laughs> I thought that was a good segue. Oh. <laughs> All right. We can go into red. <laughs> no, I, that was pretty much it. Just that Derek's... Derek's a worthy villain in the Wallstorm universe. It's too bad that regardless of what happens to him here at the end... That we're probably not going to see him again. <laughs> so. Yeah, it'd be totally cool to see him outside of Tranquility. Let's move on to Red. Both Ben and I read the original three-issue miniseries. I actually picked up the trade. Did you have the trade or the issues? No, I had the original issues. Had the original issues? OG from 2003. <laughs> well, you know what, dude? I wouldn't know how I would have felt about this trying to follow it in the original issues because I'll just kind of start backwards with my review on this. I'll just go over the the trade very, very briefly. Don't worry. Hey, you do it however you want to do it. Yeah, well, that's the problem is that it's brief whether I want to or go along or not because that's my one thing about about this story is that the three-issue miniseries is like a tease. It's either either can be viewed as a tease or the tail end of a story that we came in late on. That's probably a better way to look at it. Oh, wow. We're going to disagree greatly on this because I feel very differently. But go ahead. Say your piece. Well, that's okay. I mean, well, because basically the thing is that you got Frank Moses, who's the next, uh, what was he, CIA operative. You know, he's in retirement, but, you know, the new director or whatever finds out some incident that he was involved in and where other directors have chosen to ignore that. And just leave him be. This one decides that he can't exist while that information, whatever it is, exists out there. So they decide to send people to kill him. So you know Frank is trying to. He's not really enjoying retirement. You can tell that he's not happy with it, especially after having a life full of you know action and adventure. You know we get three issues basically of them trying to hunt him down and kill him, and him 
showing that he is not going to be easily killed. Ultimately, I thought, I, I mean, I liked it. I really, I, I, I definitely would have given this trade an 8. Just because I thought it was just a really cool, albeit quick, uh, study of, you know, what happens to a guy who spends his entire life in this kind of lifestyle and then is just forced to go home and basically wait till he's going to die of natural causes. I mean, do you want me to go into the movie already or you want to talk about the trade a little bit and then we'll talk about the movie? Let me go over the trade then since that way it'll all be together. I, I felt very differently than you did about the pacing of this book. As a trade, it'll, it'll be a very thin trade because it's really only three issues. I thought that it was appropriate. I don't know what Warren Ellis's intentions were with this book, but how I took it was, and, and there's very thick tones in this book at the end when you know they he finally talks to not the director that ordered the hit on him, but his aide or whatever. You know, Frank Moses, I didn't see him as not enjoying retirement. You know, he called that woman in the pensions department or whatever he was, wherever she worked, almost because he was just lonely. It's not that he, I didn't take it that he wanted to kill people anymore. Like he missed all the killing. I think he just missed human interaction and he never really got that when he was killing anyway. And I think he was just calling her just for just comfort, basically, more than anything. And I, in the book, I saw him as a lot older, and I didn't... That wasn't a sexual thing there. It was just... She was probably his daughter's age, and he just wanted a connection. That's how I saw the beginning of the book with her. The end of the book, when he finally breaks into the CIA to find out who's killing him, you know, Warren really talks about, you know, through Frank Moses, how... You know, the, the head of these major, you know, security firms that our government runs, the CIA, the FBI, et cetera, et cetera, how they're not run by true in the line of fire people that have worked up through the ranks that you would think would make sense running those operations. Instead, they're political appointed people that know nothing about running them, shouldn't have a thing to do with them. And I think that's the point that he was making in this book. And that's why I thought it was appropriate that it was so short because he didn't need to talk about anything else but that. That was the point of the book. So when we talk about the movie, I'm going to be slightly upset with how they went with it. However, I did enjoy it. I will say that up front. So if you would like to expound on what I just said there or just go into the movie, up to you, Joe. <laughs> Yeah, no, I I can see that. I guess, and maybe that's. I mean, obviously they went and did all the prequels and the the one shots because, you know, they're going to capitalize on the movie release. But you know, I would be curious to at least go read the Frank special, which I think was the prologue. Or maybe there was a different prologue. I don't know, but maybe that would give at least more just to this comic. There's a prequel that's coming out this Wednesday that is Frank when he's younger, mm. when he's an operative in action so i am actually considering picking that up just because it does give background on him i wasn't i didn't really want to pick up the other specials that were the other characters because they were solely created for the movie yeah but i was gonna say maybe that speech towards the end about all that that you said concerning the government maybe that's what warren had first and he kind of built this little story around that you know like you said yeah that's all he wanted to convey, then yeah, this is all the story that he needed. That's that's how I took it. So I don't know if that's how what he intended, but that's really what I got out of it. Yeah, no, I mean that's 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 very interesting because yeah, I would love to to ask him, yeah, why was it so short, you know? But yeah, the trade actually, they they stuck in a bunch of sketches and covers and basically the entire first script of the first issue. So it's it's a good trade. Of course. How much did that trade cost? Well, the cover price is fourteen ninety nine, but I got it at half price books. So. <laughs> okay. Well, I was just going to say they had to justify the five dollar, you know, seven dollar increase because when it came out, it was two fifty a piece, I believe, and there were only three of them. So you know, Ben and I both saw the movie this weekend. I just came fresh off of it about an hour or two before the podcast started, and yes, it is one of those where they took the premise of the movie. I mean, of the book, but yeah, they went in a totally different direction with it, and yeah, they did add in 
the other three characters, you know, of Marvin, Joe, and Victoria. So it turned into more of a, a team movie instead of just a single story. And yeah, like where you said that in the book, his relationship with that woman at the... Was it Social Security in the book, too? Because it was in the movie. I, I forget, but yeah, it was it was like an office linked to the CIA in some regard. I mean, yeah. in the movie, it wasn't really linked to the CIA. She didn't even know that he worked for it. You know, that was one of the first big changes was, you know, well, we got to give him a love interest. So let's just make it the girl who he keeps calling in to, to see about his pension checks, even though he's purposely destroying them so he could call, you know. And that's kind of a standard Hollywood thing. It's like for some reason Hollywood feels there has to be a love interest. At least we were spared a obligatory sex scene, you know, in this one because <laughs> uh, it was all action. I think it was PG-13, wasn't it? It was PG-13, and thank God that they spared us that. Yeah, I'm with you there. Yeah, and I think they were just trying to appeal to a bigger audience too. You know, because the the violence wasn't that bad considering the firepower that was displayed in the movie. You know, agreed. They gave it a 13. I think there was one f bomb in the movie, and that's probably what gave it a PG-13. Yeah. Other than all the gunfire, yeah, it was pretty benign. But I'm sorry, I'll let you go on. No, that's cool. Because. Uh, I mean, I'll just go ahead and get my rating for the movie uh, just based on our rating system for the comics. I'd probably get the movie maybe a 7 just because, yeah, I was sitting there and I was like, okay, this is pretty standard. Yeah, I could, uh, yeah, okay, Morgan Freeman just said, well, I've got stage 4 liver cancer and, you know, what are they going to do to me? And I'm like, okay, he's going to die. You know? <laughs> I was like... You caught that? You understood that? Like, can we just flash the word foreshadow, foreshadow, <laughs> foreshadow on the screen at that point? You know, it was just kind of stuff like that that I'm just kind of like, okay, okay, Mar you know, uh, Marvin's the crazy one. He's kind of, you know, he's got funny lines, you know. So everybody just kind of played their part. I mean, it's a good action movie. I guess what I was hoping for, based on what I saw in the trailers, was one thing I will say that, that came out in the movie that was different from the the comic is that the comic is more serious and somber. The movie had its moments like that, but it had a lot of wit and funny moments. So I guess to break the tension every now and then. So I don't know. I guess uh, I did realize that from the from the trailer that we were going to get that. But when I was watching it, it just didn't play out as much. I guess it played out, but in a way to where it was very predictable. Like I could see pretty much everything coming. There was no surprises at all. I think that's why I didn't score the movie as high. And maybe I was still a little bit lenient by giving it a 7. I don't know. I mean, it's an enjoyable action movie. Probably my favorite fight was between... Bruce Willis and uh, Agent Cooper, uh, Carl Urban's character, uh, when they fight in the office and they just beat the crap out of each other. <laughs> I love that. I was like, wow, that's an awesome fight to be Carl Urban and be, be like, I just got my butt kicked today by Bruce Willis on set. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm never watching this cut. Uh, but, uh, and I love how they have the song playing back in the saddle again during that scene. I was like, that is perfect. That is, you know, because they had that in the trailer, which you got to hear twice at the panel. Sure did. Yeah. <laughs> Woohoo. But I love that. I just thought, I was like, I was so glad they used that because that's what, that's what got me so excited with the trailer. I was like, that's so funny that they picked that song and it's so appropriate. And yeah. Ultimately, the movie, like I said, it was, it was enjoyable, but it, uh, it wasn't anything. It definitely wasn't as deep <laughs> as the comic. So that's all I got to say about it. Go for it, Ben. All right. Well, I'm the bad apple, so let me go for it. <laughs> I enjoyed the movie. Don't get me wrong. Like, it was a fun movie. I am going to give it a six, not a seven. That On the Netflix scale, that would be a three, which is liked it. Because um, <laughs> it was fun. And here's the kicker. They changed a lot of, like, three issues, like you were saying. There wasn't really much to go off of. Like, it's a half an hour TV special, really. Maybe an hour long. They could have done the entire series in, you know, a short TV special. So they had to do a two-hour movie. And with that, they had to expand a lot on it. So I can't fault them for that. I understood exactly when they added all the characters in and what they were doing. What shocked me, though, was how well they marketed the movie 
because when I was sitting in the theater, I was in a theater full of eight-year-olds to 80-year-olds. And there were a lot of older people in this movie. And I was like, huh. As I was watching through the movie and I was getting more and more annoyed because they weren't really talking about what Warren Ellis talked about in the issues, which I'll expand upon in a little bit. But what made me you know, cheer them was the fact that they were able to get a wide audience. And to me, it was, hey, this is grumpy old men with guns. It appeals to everybody. Like, everybody liked it. And, you know, except for that one F-bomb, which probably gave them the PG-13 rating. Like, they loved it. And it cracked me up. So, hooray for them with that. But, yeah, I mean, this should have been a hard R if they had really stuck to the book. Because it was a very violent book within three issues. Very violent. And, you know, I was totally okay with the extra characters. I understood what they were doing. I was kind of annoyed with the sexual thing that was going on with him and the girl that he was calling because, yeah, I mean, it really wasn't that way in the book. You really saw it as just, or at least I saw it as just, you know, he just wanted just somebody to talk to. Like, it, to me, it didn't sound sexual at all. I will probably link to in the show notes uh, to the reviews. Trailer? <laughs> no, not the trailer. I'm not linking to it. It's ridiculous. Um, no, the Totally Rad Show from Revision 3 did two reviews this past week, both on Red. They reviewed the issues or the trade, and then they reviewed the movie the next day. And you know, those guys usually do a great job, and so I'm going to link to those. But what annoyed me was as I went through the movie, I was like, okay, I can, I can put up with the extra characters. I can put up that they made this a teen movie. I can put up with, ugh, even though I don't want to, the new sexual thing between him and the girl, I'll deal with that. But as I got more towards the end, I was like, just please talk about Ellis's point, which was that politicians should not be running these agencies. And that was what I got out of his original series. And Maybe it's my conservative background, but I totally agree with him. Like, if you haven't been through the training, if you haven't run through the system, why would you be running that agency? And they never really tapped into that in the movie, and that kind of made me sad. So, But all in all, it's a fun-filled movie for all ages, as <laughs> I pointed out. So, I mean, it was fun. I'd, I'd run it when it comes out again, but it's a good good afternoon in the theater, so... I guess go see it. The third thing that I can even that I can say was, and we all kind of knew this, and I definitely knew this at NYCC, is this is the first Wildstorm published book that was turned into a movie. Um, I know Sleeper is in the works, but you know I really wanted to see the Wildstorm logo, and after the news, I figured that it was only going to be a DC logo, and it was. So, <laughs> yeah. There's that, too. Oh, it's all right, dude. At least we got one before it ended, even if it's just a creator-owned. <laughs> yeah, just squeaked it in there. All right. Well, unless you have anything to say, we may as well move on to the other Wildstorm releases for the past two weeks. Nope, I'm done. Okay. So, for October 6th, uh, Kane and Lynch number three came out. Red, the new edition, came out, which I guess that was the collected trade that you read. Yeah. And Tom Strong and the Robots of Doom number five released. For October 13th, the Victoria Undead special released. And that was a, a thicker issue. And it's kind of like a one-shot primer for volume two of Victoria and Undead. And that was for $4.99, which I picked up. But Joe and I are not going to review that series as it kind of rolls far into 2011. And there's no Wildstorm after that. So, anyways, uh, new digital comics offerings, courtesy of Comixology.com. These range from $0.99 cents to $1.99. Ex Machina, number 12 and 13. Supernatural, Beginnings End, number 2 and 3. Gears of War, number 7 and 8. Victoria Undead, number 4 and 5. Welcome to Tranquility, number 6. The Trick or Treat, number 1 and 2. And Kanan Lynch, number 2. So they're definitely closing up the gap because you can see that the print edition of Kane and Lynch number three came out the week prior and a week later, you know, the last issue number two released. So um, it's not like DVD or Blu-ray releases uh, that come from Hollywood where they're months away. This is they're definitely DC's definitely tightening up their schedule 
um, between the print run and the digital run, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, because that is really close. It's pretty much within the month after it comes out. Yeah, and they're definitely going to catch up to Gears of War because that book is not very steady on its releases. Yeah, I, I guess it'll if it continues, it'll be under DC. And if you notice, there's no more World's End titles, so I guess I don't know what's going on with that. Maybe, you know, because of Hank Canal's new position, they're kind of waiting on that. So we'll see. Yeah, because I do check. <laughs> there's, yeah, there's still nothing there. So Okay, and if you guys want to contact us, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Grifter78. Or you can look us both up at the Wallstorm Resource Wiki. Ben is Yo-Yo Master 146 and that's wallstormresource.wetpaint.com. The podcast is also on Twitter, at wallstormaddict, or you can email us at wallstormaddiction at gmail.com. Well, this is kind of a long episode, but we, uh, we do thank you for listening to all the news from NYCC and the, uh, you know, Wallstorm's movie, last movie, you know, first and last. <laughs> but we will definitely be back with you guys in a couple of weeks with uh, a lot more reviews. We'll be talking with you later. Yeah, see you then, guys. <laughs>